0: So when you think about Jesus, it's like, hey, uh, he must have been a great communicator, right? The ability to bring resolution and calmness, you know, diffuse tension when difficult questions or situations come his way, right? Though Jesus often would make these statements that would take an issue, a point of contention or tension, and not so much Diffuse the conflict, he would escalate the conflict. He'd bring the whole situation to like a maybe an issue to a major issue, like massive confrontation, huh? Now, he would say some of the most audacious things to those around him. And like, it's impossible to be like, oh man, like, I could just see them. Like, man, did he just say that? Like, it was getting hot and difficult as it was to follow him. Did he have to say that? Jesus sounds Italian. so, but at times, Jesus would reveal himself to the world in the midst of conflict, he'd like leverage it, you know, he'd he'd say, man, this is the moment to just do it, they say people are like teabags, you know what's really going on in them when they get into hot water, right, and then there's Jesus, and every time he's in hot water, what comes out of him is Truly who he was and who God called him to be here on this earth, yeah? So this series we're kicking off today, I Am, the Statements of Jesus, I hope is going to help you to sort of meet Jesus in a special way again, to see Jesus for who he really is. In this series, we're going to be looking into the book of John, the gospel of John, looking at these I am statements that Jesus made. Uh, They're called his signature statements where he's telling the world, this is who I am. So let's open up to John chapter 7. We're going to go to the very ending of John 7, last verse, and then into John chapter 8. When people think of Christians, the most common characteristic they name is judgmental. Hypocrites come in a close second, (laughs) But judgmental seems to top the list. And, you know, it's not entirely true. And I know sometimes people use that as kind of an escape thing. Uh, you, know, you know, excuse, justification. But really, it's not, an, it's not so far off. It's something we should take seriously as, as Christians. Because some of you can really be judgmental, right? <laughs> and some of you don't like when you say that. You're actually judging me now as I'm speaking, aren't you? Look, the portion of Scripture we're going to read... A lot of people are being judgmental in the moment. Everyone, but Jesus isn't. I'd even go to say even those who are followers of him in that moment likely, if not certainly, were being judgmental. Maybe certainly not as harsh as uh, the group that's going to be in question, but Jesus wasn't judgmental. Jesus is and Jesus was different. And I think when we meet Jesus for the first time, And even today, you might be meeting him for the first time. He changes our lives. It's different. So John chapter 7, verse 53 to John chapter 8, verses, we'll go to verse 2. It says, then the meeting broke up and everybody went home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him And he sat down to teach him. So this story is filled with conflict. It begins, and it's saying, okay, the meeting broke up. Everybody went home. But Jesus, he went back to the Mount of Olives. I want want you to pay attention to that but there. But's a contrasting word. You see, Jesus, it's different. With Jesus, it's private and then public. Private and then public. Jesus gets away to be with his father, and then he engages the world, then he engages in ministry, then he engages in relationship. You know, we, we are so busy, and, and I am so busy, I am. Christian and I were talking about this last night, you know, how we actually think things were busier some time ago, still kind of packed today, but it's, it's been a run. I mean, we, we, you know, we, you, I, we, we, you know, we get up, we jump up, we jump in the shower, we fly out the doors in our homes, and then we get back home, and we're still in that mode, right? And lately, someone told me that they heard the most productive hours for people nowadays are 9 to 11 p.m. That's when people are getting a lot done now and, and really tying things up between 9 o'clock at night and 11 o'clock at night productivity books conferences it's just busy we're packing it in you see jesus in the middle of all the commotion in the middle of, of people going here and there everyone goes home but he goes to the mount of olives to pray to contemplate to ponder to be with his father in heaven private then public and we see this throughout the Gospels. We see Jesus getting away in private to be alone with his Father in heaven. You see it with the, after the feeding of the 5,000. You see it after the death of John the Baptist. You see it in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's going to go to the cross. Jesus shows us this over and over. Have the private time. So one of, the, one of the most effective ways you could live out your faith here on earth is to grow in your relationship with God privately and then live it out loud publicly. But go privately before God and grow and then live out that growth publicly in your home, amongst your family, at your job, at your school, your occupation, all that. Charles Spurgeon, uh, wonderful, beloved preacher in England, 1800s, I believe. He said this. He said, I have covenanted not to look into the eyes of another person until I've looked into the eyes of God. What he's saying is, I want God to do work in me before I get going and doing anything in my life. What he's saying is, I need to be right with God. Before I get on with life, before I attempt to be a husband or a wife, before I attempt to be a mother or a father, before I get out into school and get on that bus, before I go to my job, I want to be right with God. Huh? I want to take the time. Last night, we had a a couple's night out. It was just a great time. It really was. We had, like I don't know, 66 to 70 people. Um... I'm thinking this was an example of people not taking the time to pray before they went out in public. That's just what I'm saying, man. Yeah. I mean, we had a good time. Some things were revealed. We had these contests, and you know what well, couples knew each other well and didn't know each other well. And stories were coming out. And oh, you—I can't believe you don't know that. And oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I'm like, you know, where was your first kiss? Like, come on, you know, it was in the driveway. No, it was in the back seat. It was in the driveway. I'm like, well, it probably was in the driveway in the car in the back seat. But what the heck were you doing in the back seat, man? You know. <laughs> No filter, no filter. I won't even tell you who that is. I should, but I won't. No, it wasn't Diane and Lloyd. No, it wasn't. Diane and Lloyd did win the contest, though. They won the contest, you know, and they just got one thing right after another. I think it's just Diane is in his head, you know. Now, now by the way, winning this contest and knowing a lot about each other doesn't mean you get along well. It just means you know a lot about each other. I think in their case, it's just we know all the things we don't like. So, okay, there you go. It, she loves you. <laughs> I don't know why. But, uh, but she does. You toss salad, you. That was one of the answers to a question, yeah? So, although you did call her Elizabeth Taylor, I thought I was, me and Christy were nervous. We were nervous on that one. We <laughs> were oh, this is where this baby's going to die right now. <laughs> well, it was a question, what movie star does your wife remind you of the most? So uh, for me, I already got that right, because my wife, when I first met her, she reminded me of Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, let me stop there. Anyway, so uh, but Chrissy looked at me. She goes, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> she goes, he's going he's gonna to have one of his moments, you know, where he's going to say something. We were like, oh. <laughs> But he didn't. He, he hit it out of the park. Elizabeth Taylor. Pretty cool. Right? Uh, going to call you Elizabeth Taylor from now on. Anyway. <laughs> but look. Many of us, we're flying through life. We're kind of half-cocked. Going at it the best we can. I give you credit. You know, we're doing it. But, and we're hoping that, you know, God will show up. Right? Listen. God will show up. Go private before you go public. Yeah. Psalm 46 Verse 10 tells us that to be still and know. God says, be still and know that I am God. He says, I'll be exalted amongst the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. I will be exalted in your life. I'll be exalted in your situation. I'll be exalted in your relationship. I'll be exalted in your issue. God rests himself in the stillness of our hearts. You know why I think we we might struggle with God? It's just what I think. You know, one, some of us fear that he might not be there. We have those, you know, think about going into a private time with God. We, we wonder, we think, you know what, is he going to be there? Am I going to start to have those thoughts and that tension? Like, is he really here and now? Does he know that I'm thinking that? And it's Just a mess, man, right? And then two, some of us fear that he is there, mm, that he is there, you know, because when you meet with God, it's, and it's in private, it's just you and him, right? And, and and you can begin, if you're quiet enough and long enough, you begin to hear him speaking, you begin to hear you speaking, and now clarity comes. And that clarity can be a bit uncomfortable and a bit fearful for us, you know? Because God might say something that, that you might not want to change, right? And And... and and that's difficult. I, I was with one of my kids er, er, last week, and we went out, and they were talking to me, and they said, look, you know, I, I was spending time with God, and I I realized this, and and he kind of, you to know, be careful, but they confessed it. They brought it out there. And I just paused, and I just literally said, God, just, just help me. This is a critical moment, I think, for this child, and just, just help me. Because, uh, you know, I could be prone to just, like, you know, pounce on it, you know, like, like... Uh, like, you know, oh, no, you don't have to believe that. Oh, oh it's, you know, it's, you're not that bad. Or, or, well, you know. And I just paused. I want you to grab this now. And I said to the child, I said, you know. And I actually said, I'm not going to jump on that. You know. Uh, I said, you know why? Because I think this is what stops people from getting to where you're at right now. I said, and where you're at is glorious. It's absolutely glorious. It's supernatural. It is. I said, and I speak to so many human beings, you know, day by day, and, and, and it's hard for them to get to where you are, where you are being right now. You know, you're, you're, you've seen what's going on in you, and you're professing it out loud, meaning you've gone before God. He has spoken to you. You've heard him. You've, you've realized it, and now you're professing it. I said, and, and you know why I think a lot of people don't go there? Because they don't really think about how wonderful this moment is that you're having and the peace that comes with it, they think about now what are they going to have to do as a rea- to react to that? What are they going to have to change? What's going to have to happen? I said, let's not do that right now. Let's not do that. I don't want to talk about that. I said, all I want you to do is for the next you know, several days just pause and realize how gracious and faithful God is that you can speak like this how courageous and how wonderful it is that you have come to this moment of talking about it out loud and just how you are able to have this moment and just pause and live in this and hold on to it and realize it, huh? So you'll, not, you'll look forward to going before God. I said, you know, go back again before God and just rejoice and just be glad and just know him and know the peace you have in that, huh? Rather than run ahead and like, oh, that's what Satan does. As soon as God is injecting peace into us, when we, we're just, we have that moment where he's speaking it, we're receiving it, we can profess it, we see it, we know it. It's not the way it should be. We could be better. This is really being exaggerated. Uh, this is reality. He comes in and says, oh, yeah? blah ba 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 bum 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 and then we back away. We literally move away from that peace. Hmm. Go private before you go public. Rest in the presence of God. Be still before him, Yes? And I really went off track there, huh? Look, in a busy culture, the first thing that kind of goes to the side is time with God. And, and I, I can be guilty of this and have been guilty of this. You see, we want to look at Jesus, and he gets away. I mean, even after a long, crazy night and packed meetings, he's like, everybody's going to sleep. Hey, I got to get my time with God. I got to get time with my Heavenly Father, yes? Yes? even in the late hours, even knowing clearly that, hey, at dawn, man, I'm up and going again. Look what happens in, as a result of this, let's look what happens in John chapter 8, verse 2. It says, at dawn, he, Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, chaotic scene now. I picture, here's Jesus teaching, talking, people are out there listening, and boom, doors burst open. Pharisees, who are religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders, dragging this woman who has been caught sleeping with a man. Huh? It says, they made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. Now, what do you say, Jesus? They were using the question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, and they're they're peltering with questions, when they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Imagine this. It says Jesus was seated. And that's because in those days when a, a teacher or rabbi would speak, right, he would sit down and everybody would stand up. How cool would that be? <laughs> right? You guys wouldn't last 10 minutes, ma'am. So I got to stand up and you sit down in your nice, comfortable seats. All right. So, so Jesus is teaching and they, the Pharisees dragged this woman in there, right, they want to stone her. They should be stoned to death. And Jesus says, Okay, whoever one of you is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And they come in there like self so righteous. We know it. We got it. She committed adultery. Moses, this is what the law of Moses said the centrality of our lives, how we govern ourselves. She's committed adultery. Stoner. What do you say, Mr. Loving Life Jesus? And Jesus says, whoever without sin cast the first stone. What he's saying to the guys with the stones in their hands, the principle he's teaching us, you need to look in before you look out. Huh? Look inside your own hearts before we pass judgment on other people and decide who they are and why they do what they're doing. Huh? See, all they want, the Pharisees, those religious leaders, is for Jesus to say something that's going to allow them to bring accusation against them. But what does Jesus do? I want you to get this. Not really much. He's calm. He's collective. The commotion, the yelling, the the, 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 peltering him with asking questions. And what is he doing? Do nothing. He's just sitting there, writing in the sand. We don't know. There's so many insights and comments about what he was writing. We don't know what he was writing in the sand. All he knows is he was calm, he was collective, maintaining his position, right? He held back. He didn't mess it all up. He didn't react, you know, like we might do, right? We react, and then we regret. Hmm? But Jesus had been private, and now he's public. Huh? If you go private, and then public, you'll do more responding, not reacting, and you'll have a lot less regretting. I hope you followed that. So Jesus calmly gets up, huh? And he answers their question. He who is without sin casts the first stone, and one by one they leave. Why? Because Jesus is telling them, you need to look in before you look out. He's saying, hey, you're asking the wrong question right now. You're looking to condemn her, but you should be looking into your own hearts. He says, if you've never blown it, if you've never messed up, throw a stone. Before we start to look at other people's issues, before we start to assess and judge other people, let's look at our own hearts you would be astonished what you will find. And not like horrible things. What you'll find is what's there could literally be the source that's kind of clouding or warping the lens on how you're seeing other people. And that what you're assuming maybe is a bit distorted, exaggerated, incomplete, just not what you think it is. Remember Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus said, if you see a speck in your brother's eye, tell him to put it on Facebook. Well, put it on Facebook, right? If you see a speck on your brother's eye, post about it, huh? You know, be kind of like veiled about it so you're not saying it, but everybody will know what you're talking about, right? Jesus says, hey, when you see the speck in your brother's eye, before you take it out, first take the plank out of your own eye, right? Deal with your lumberyard before you deal with the sawdust in your brother's eye, huh? Yeah, that's hard to live out, isn't it? Come on, that's hard to live out. Why? Because we like to notice other people's flaws. Come on. We like right, it's kind of as a human condition. We tend to be okay, like to notice other people's flaws. Why? I think it makes us feel better about ourselves. I feel better when I notice something less than you that could be more in me. That's how I'm going to gauge where I'm at, how good I'm doing. Huh? Now. This is a sickness. It's an illness. We and 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 we can live this way. I want see when you go private, you're going to sense these things. You're going to notice these things. Wow. It is that how I'm seeing this? Man, this is ill. This is sick. This isn't good, right? You know, so if somebody else isn't doing good, it makes me feel better about myself. Time out, man. Whoa. We're fallen. We need Jesus, you and I, right? Before you look out, look in. This is a beautiful thing. This is revolutionary. This is life-changing. This is peace. Once you look in, What happens is you're humbled. That's what happens to me. That's why I'm cool with looking in. I'm going to be humbled, right? I'll catch myself. I'll realize what's going on. And then I'm even more humbled. I'm humbled that God in his mercy would uh, uh, enable me. Allow me, favor me to see with clarity what's going on, and that I wouldn't just, you know, meander through life in this distorted way, in this warped way, in this incomplete way. So I was telling my child, This is a glorious moment. You're having realization, you're having clarity. This is a wonderful moment. All of us have issues. I have issues, right? <laughs> you know? You know, when, when they all leave, the, old, the Bible says that after Jesus tells them, you know, you who is without sin, cast the first stone, it says they began to drop their stones and leave from the oldest to the youngest one by one, right? And you think the oldest left first because they, they, they got it quickly. Like, oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> we, 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 we definitely don't have, you know, we, we've got a lot of problems. The younger people, you know, they think they have it together more. So it takes them a while to kind of figure it out, right? When you're walking with Jesus, you look in before you look out. And when you look in, God does a work in you privately. And then you can live your faith out publicly, huh? You can live it out loud in a wonderful way. So, what do you do, man? Some of us, and I say this really, not in a harsh way, but in a, in a compassionate way. I I have been so, um, I have been immersed in this, and I have been susceptible to this. And I think, it, it, to some extent, I'll battle it to the, uh, the day Jesus takes me, huh? But some of us have built our lives on who we are, how, how good we are, how much better we are than another person, right? How we can prove ourselves to any particular group of people. I, you thought I was nothing, I'm going to be something, you know? How we can prove our self-worth. Jesus teaches us there's a greater way. Verse 9, it says, At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. What an extraordinary moment in literature, in ancient literature. It, 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 it's powerful for us to hear it today But to put it in context, it was an extraordinary moment. I want to give you some words. No condemnation, be free. No condemnation, be free. Jesus says to the woman, where are your accusers? The Bible teaches that Satan is the accuser, right? And he's the accuser of the brethren, of the saints, of those who believe in God. We all have accusers, do we not? In our families, sadly, in our occupations, we have accusers. But that accusation is never, ever from your heavenly father, right? It's always from your enemy and your enemy working through others. Jesus says, where are your accusers? And they're gone. It's just Jesus and the woman. I want you to catch that, huh? Because people are going to accuse you. Even if you've come to Christ, even if you've stopped using drugs or drinking, even if people are going to accuse you. Some people catch up quickly. As I say when I counsel people, some people never catch up. They just will continually accuse, huh? And they're going to judge you. And you know at the end of the day, you need to know this. It's you and Jesus. Jesus. It's you and Jesus, and he does not condemn you, and he does not accuse you, but he's with you. You need to know, at the end of the day, it's me and Jesus, huh? That's how I gauge who I am. That's why, it's me and Jesus. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. No matter what you've done, there's been no condemnation, you know? Everybody else will, but not Jesus. Even those we love will have their moments, will have their days, will have their months. There might be accusation and condemnation for all different reasons. Maybe we've contributed, maybe we haven't. But Jesus does not condemn us. Right. You know, our culture is saturated in condemnation. They're all over it. I see it, you know. People make mistakes, they screw up. And man, they do sinful things and people are all over them. God says, you've messed up. You are my child Come to me, I love you. huh? We push people away when they do stupid stuff, right? Hurtful things. And Jesus says, come to me. Hmm? No other God, no other deity that professed is this. The church, you and I, we want to be more like Jesus, right? When people hurt us, when they mess up, come to me. It's not something we could do on our own. We need the power of God in us. And that's why we want to be private before we go public. So, God has something greater for you. If you've messed up, it's not the end of your story. Now, Jesus says, I don't condemn you, huh? But then he says, why? He says, now go. Go forward. Live life and sin no more. Hmm? So, no condemnation and be free. Jesus Jesus isn't saying no condemnation and keep committing adultery. Keep sleeping with people without being married. Keep living out your life. Keep indulging your desires. Keep living from your fears. Keep trying to keep moving forward in a way where you are surviving your way. No. Our culture says don't judge. Do what you want. Right? Which basically means, you know, you've got a license now. As long as you're not telling people they shouldn't do that to do what you want. Until, of course, it conflicts with you. And now that it's different, right? Jesus says, I don't condemn you, but make some changes and be free. True freedom is not doing what you were doing before. You're free. It's being released from the things that are holding you back. They are holding you back. I know in your homeostasis, and your way of keeping it together, you know, it, 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 it's you. But it's holding you back. It might be stable for you because you're familiar with it. You, 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 it's what you know, but it's holding you back. There's so much more. In John chapter 8, verse 36, later on in this chapter, Jesus says, Who the Son sets free is free indeed. There is no freedom. Not for David Trelongo. Not for Christy Trolango, not for anybody. There is no freedom in continually giving in to your own desires. Uh, over and over, this is not freedom, right? God has not condemned you for what you are doing. You don't need to live that way. You don't need to find, a, find your way that way. Be free, sin no more, move on. We as believers, we don't condemn people, but we do exhort them, as I'm doing now, to live in a greater way. Yes? Our job isn't to condemn, but to say, to, but to, tell, to help people move forward, to love them. How many of us in here today need to change the way we look at people, and not just say the right things, but actually feel the right things within us, and then act the right way towards others? Forgiveness does demand a breaking away from sin. God's forgiveness does demand us to break away from our sinful ways. Now, some of you think God's condemned you, and, and I think that's normal, you know? <laughs> I, I certainly have felt that way, and before I came to Christ, I did. And, and, and me and Chrissy we were talking about this early last week. We, we do think, we think a lot of people live out from this, and I preached it recently before that, and you could see, because the way they govern their life with God is more from obligation. And we see that. We see in how people give, right? You know? We talk about, I don't pass the plate at the end. If I did, I'd see like a 10% increase tomorrow. Right? I would. What does that mean? And people say, oh, we're so glad you don't pass the plate. we don't. so glad you don't pass the bucket. Cool. But why if I did, and I, we've tracked this with other churches and ministers, would we see an increase? Why would some of you, most of you, give when you're not giving? Because you're used to, it's an indication that in your relationship with God, you are living out more from obligation from requirement from manipulation huh than you are from grace and joy and love and i believe people should give from joy and enthusiasm and expectation and serving from joy and enthusiasm and expectation right that's why they should give that's why they should serve that's why we should, that's the great, that's, that's a great way to live life This living for jesus and following jesus 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 came to get away from the obligation and the requirement and all that burden. And yet many of us really are still living out our faith in that way. I don't do this from obligation, requirement. So I don't do it to this extent, but maybe a little bit to that extent. I do this because of obligation, right? I come on to, no, no, you do it. Get to the place where you're doing it because you know God loves you. He loves you deeply. He does not condemn you and he's brought you to freedom and to live out that freedom with a joy and a gladness and a peace, right? Expecting and knowing God's going to show up. I tell you, you talk about freedom, we've got a a freedom, a group, a life group called freedom, man, it just, it really, it will help you get in there and and, and gain some clarity. It will help you get in there and realize and see that, man, I'm living from a place of condemnation, which has helped, brought me to a place of living from shame. And the way I see God is more like this knowledge of good and evil tree, like, you know, good and bad and in my way, I'm not seeing God through this tree of life, through, through life, through living. It's a great group. And then you've got another group going on where they're taking my sermons here today, every Sunday, and they're going to sit down and they're going to talk about it. So when pastor said that, you know, you, they, they can even get on me a bit, within a bit, not too much. <laughs> what did you agree with? What did you agree? But really, they're going to be talking about and studying and indulging in more of what we're talking about here. So is, this is, I mean, it's always good to be in no series, but when we're doing something like this, it's a great time to jump into a group like that. So I encourage you to do that. John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus says, says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. life. So, you got to get this. So, for, for a, a Jewish teacher or a rabbi, and, you know, they saw him as a teacher, a rabbi, a sage, for them to turn around and make a statement like that, I am the light of the world, it's to declare that it's for them to claim, I'm God. Yeah. Meaning, and he Jesus, now let's put it in context, Jesus makes this statement at the Feast of Dedication or known as the Festival of Lights. It's what we might know as Hanukkah, right? It's that they're celebrating, the Jews are celebrating, they're remembering the rededication of the temple, you know, after the Maccabean Revolt in 165 BC. Now, Eight days. So they liked this. They would light this huge, call it a menorah. Ma- and, and it would just it would light it on fire. It was massive. It would burn bright. It would light up the whole temple courts. And, they, and it would last for eight days. They'd be partying, hanging out, talking, festivities, a big celebration. And I want you to pick a picture. It's the ending of the eight days. The flames are flickering. It's going towards evening. Things are dying out, but there's several hundred people hanging out, talking, chatting, maybe dancing a bit, and Jesus gets up, and, he, and some scholars say he walks up to the front of the giant menorah, right up to the front, right up in the platform, and he says, I, I am the light of the world. I, I am God, and his followers are like, no! It's an audacious statement. This is who I am. I am the light of the world. What does that mean for you and I? It means you and I have the light of life. We do. We have the light of life. If you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you have the light of life. Because Jesus is the light of the world. Oh, for the Bible, you see this powerful light is the powerful power. Picture of the presence of God. I am the light of the world. In a world filled with darkness, God wants us to walk in light, and Jesus is light. God's telling us to walk in the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 says, In him Jesus was light, and that light was the life of all. It's interesting. In, G- in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus says, here in John, he says, I am the light of the world. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he says, you, you, Desiree, you, Jessica, you, Lloyd, even you, Lloyd, you are the, you are the light of the world. So we have a moon and we have a sun, right? The sun is the greater light. The sun generates light. The moon is actually reflecting the light of the sun, huh? Jesus is the light of the world. We receive his light. We receive the presence. We receive the power. And then we, then in turn, effect, bring it into the world. The moon is always lit up because of the power of the sun. May we walk through our days lit up with the power and the presence of God. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you Have that life. That's the life that lives in you. And we can't reflect that light if we're not going private before public. We're going to struggle to reflect that light if we're condemning and judging people. We're going to be thwarted or hindered in reflecting that light if we're trying to value ourselves based on, you know, people's condemnations and accusations and what they think with us versus just valuing that, man, I have the light of the world in me and with me, huh? Jesus taught freedom. No obligation. He taught freedom. If you are here today and you have not placed your faith meaning your trust and your confidence in Jesus Christ. You today can come to Jesus just as you are. Remember the, what I said? Not, well, what am I going to have to do? What I, I have to change? What, what's going to happen this way or that way? I would have never, never made the leap of faith if I would have saw that conversation through in my head. It started to happen. I've actually written about it. I, I, I was getting nauseous thinking about it. And then I stopped. No, right now I'm coming to Jesus because he loves me and he accepts me who I am. And I'm believing that he's going to change me for the better. Jesus is going to change you for the better because freedom is better than bondage. Yes, God is opening up a door for you this morning to have a relationship with you, to lead you out of darkness and into his glorious light. Say yes to Jesus this morning. Say, I want the light of life. I want to be free. I want a new life in Jesus. This is my moment. This is my day. You want to renew your relationship with Jesus. Man, I've been living out life more from a place of condemnation. I think I condemn myself. I think I, I, I judge others. I look at people, and if they're not doing so well, man, I, you know, I, 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 that's how I gauge myself. Yeah, no more. No more illness here. No more sickness. Freedom. That's slavery. I want I want freedom. Today, man, I'm going to live with the light of life in me. Today, Jesus, Jesus is with me. Listen, Jesus, God, does not condemn us. We are free. Live in this freedom. We are free to live in the light that Jesus is. We are free to love. To God be the glory.